This time, on episode 417 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we'll discuss the 2021 Sony Pictures film Spider-Man No Way Home, and weekly Marvel news, including sad news about William Hurt's passing, that new Miss Marvel Disney Plus trailer, and an unconfirmed report of a Daredevil reboot. I'm Willie D. Nelson from All Things Good and Nerdy, a pop culture podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other tantalizingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for a scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes as told by Marvel Studios. This show is recorded on Thursday, March 17, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast via a Daily Bugle takeover stream, which is also on www.geeks.live. Come and join our live chat as we record, since we love talking about Marvel. Because, because I love you. If you want to talk to us about how much you love us, you can head on over to the website, legendsofshield.com. If someone tells you you love them and you want to leave them a voicemail saying just thank you, you can call our voicemail line at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. If you want to tell somebody that you knew a long time ago how much you love them, head on over to Facebook. And while you're there, check out the Legends of Shield podcast. If you have overwhelming love for your two doppelgangers, please head over to Twitter at Legends of Shield. If you think the best way to express your love is to make a really, really good choreographed video, you should probably show that off to us over at youtube.com slash gunnageek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. skill. If you want to tell a lot of people all at once how much you love them, you can join our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord and ping at everyone. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. I got to tell you, MJ is not going to be happy when, if and when MJ ever remembers what happens, she is not going to be happy about that moment. That's for sure. What we're talking about is Spider-Man No Way Home, but we'll get into the full podcast in a little bit. I want to say, guys, that I'm very sorry that Agent Lauren can't be with us today. She isn't feeling good, so she can't be with us. I know she wants to talk about it, so just a big shout out to agent lauren and if you want to hit her up you can catch her on twitter at sithwitch and tell her how much you want to see her back on the podcast with that you guys excited to talk about spider-man no way home yes oh yeah all right we're getting into it Spider-Man No Way Home was released in theaters on December 17th, 2021. It was a holiday movie during the pandemic. Some theaters were not at full strength. A lot of people didn't want to see it in theaters like 
us. We wanted to stay safer and, and see it at home, but a lot of people did. We'll talk about that in a second. And it was also released this week on Video On Demand on Tuesday, March 15th, 2022, just a couple of days ago. And I read it was because somebody leaked a Blu-ray online. Sony was like, nope, we're going to get our money from this and we need to get this out a couple weeks ahead. I don't know if it was supposed to release next week or not, but they went ahead and did it early and I'm all for early because we've been waiting a long time to see it anyway. Uh, is that you guys' understanding of why it was released when it was released? Yes, I read the story. It was supposed to come out next week, but somebody had a perfect copy. It wasn't one of those weird bootlegs, uh, you know, thing on the knee, shaky. It was a high quality bootleg. That is why we didn't announce that we're covering Spider-Man No Way Home, because we didn't know it was going to be coming out when we recorded last time. Matter of fact, it was leaked. A couple days after that, and then like the next day, Sony said, we're going to put it out on the 15th. There was, if you purchased it with the Movies Anywhere or somewhere that was compatible with Movies Anywhere, you got an additional eight-minute segment or roll or something like that. I haven't looked for it personally. I think where I purchased it is compatible, but I have not seen it yet, but that was an additional bonus. So there are bonus things that you can get with purchasing. It was available in the United States for $19.99 on some streaming services, and I bought it from Amazon Prime just because I thought of all the places, that's probably going to be the place that's around the longest, so I want my digital movies there. It is a choice to make where you buy your digital movies. That's just where I went. Chris, where did you buy yours? I also bought mine from Amazon, but it was mostly because I didn't have to get up to go get my wallet. <laughs> Michelle, what about you? Also for Amazon, the reason being my mom shares my account and it's easy for her to get on Amazon through the Roku. No, I'm just like, I'll just do it over Amazon. Okay. Since we all bought it in Amazon, did you buy the X-ray version? Because that was separate than the normal version for some reason. Yeah, I bought the X-ray version. Oh, definitely. They were the same price anyway, right? I know. It was like, why not buy the X-ray version? I didn't get understand that. I didn't realize what was going on there. Anyway, so apparently we all watched it on Prime Video this week. So the movie was produced by a pair. It was a consolidation between Marvel Studios and Sony Studios. So the producers, they're listed as the top producers, Kevin Feige and Amy Pascals. Now, Kevin Feige, we talk about him all the time. He still has, from the last time we talked about him, 79 production credits. It started with X-Men in 2000, and he is currently in charge of Marvel Studios and has no wish to sit down. He is distributing the execution of everything now to creative people so it'll be interesting to see how he keeps that all together with the main storyline now his future projects include everything that we've been talking about everything from the i am group tv series to the upcoming thor love and thunder which is just undergoing reshoots this week the miss marvel series that we'll talk about later the moon knight tv series that's coming out in a couple weeks the marvels fantastic fours in pre-production development blade the echo tv series which we talked about before and oddly enough, in his IMDb credits, there's still that untitled Marvel Cinematic Universe television show, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's like, like a placeholder of 
okay, there's going to be something coming, something more coming. So we'll just say it's untitled and he's producing it. I guess. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? They just don't want to announce yet that there's going to be a ghost spider show. I think it's probably something permanent. So when they just announce something new, they just put it and then they always have that untitled. So that way, whenever they just fill it in and just leave that untitled. I think so too. I think we'll keep on seeing that. And then also over on the Sony side, you have Amy Pascal. She is head of Sony Studios. She does have 23 production credits to her name starting in 2016, including the Ghostbusters movie 2016, not the Afterlife movie, but the Ghostbusters movie in 2016. That was the all-female-led cast. Then you had Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017, Venom in 2018, and then Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Very nicely done, waiting for the Spider-Man, uh, I'm trying to remember, it's like after the Spider-Verse or something like that. The part one and two is coming out. Really excited about that. Spider-Man Far From Home in 2019 and Venom, Let There Be Carnage in 2021 among her 23 production credits. Now, before this movie came out, a lot of people don't remember this or are putting it out of their mind because so much time has passed. But there was a time where there was going to be a break where... Marvel and Sony weren't going to do any more Spider-Man movies together. I don't know what kind of backdoor deals were going on, but we do know it has come out, or at least this is the story that they're telling, that Tom Holland himself was the one who went to both studios and said, come on, guys, can't we just all get along? And then they agreed within a couple of days to make it happen. For what it's worth, Tom Holland is probably the reason why this movie happened anyway. Good for him. I really love that. He seems to be having a lot of fun with the character, and I'm really enjoying watching him do it. Yep. So those were the producers. Chris, who directed this movie? This one was directed by John Watts, who has 31 directing credits. Most important for us, there is Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home. So you have somebody with some experience in the series. Also credited with pre-production in Fantastic Four, please let it be good. It's the thing about Fantastic Four that I worry about is it's in pre-production and Marvel has a habit of changing directors like mid pre-production stream for whatever reason. You often hear creative differences and then the real story comes out later, but I'm not going to put all my cards in the basket that John Watts is going to be directing the Fantastic Four movie, but it would make sense to me that he would. So we'll see if that happens. Then also, we'll talk about the score for this. It was done by Michael Giacchino, and I checked this pronunciation, so please, if I'm wrong, let me know what it is. But Giacchino, it's spelled G-I-A-C-C-H-I-N-O. He has 153 composing credits in his career which include such great films like the original Incredibles. We talked about him before, by the way, because he did Spider-Man Far From Home in 2019. He did Incredibles 1 and 2. He's done Jurassic World. He's done Planet of the Apes. He's done the Star Trek in 2009, which I love that new type of Star Trek score that they did for those movies. He did Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, a lot of people love that film. I have my personal issues with that film, but a lot of people say it's one of the better Star Wars films that has come out after the original three came out. For what it's worth, he did the score for that. I think this guy 
He's not really John Williams, but he's done a lot of amazing films that we hold dear. And that says something. Basically, he hasn't gotten in the way of the film. And in some cases, it's a memorable thing. Like with John Williams, he always had that haunting French horn sound and everything. With Michael, he has this ability to do this really melodic theme in there that is catchy. And then after you watch the film, you're like, okay, I remember that. So if you hear the music, you hear the soundtrack, you go back to the scenes where that was. At least it is for me. I don't know if it is for you guys. Sometimes. Okay, that's fair. I would say some of these, like Jupiter's Sending, I soundtrack is not memorable to me, but the movie's not memorable to me either. Christy, are you into soundtracks at all? I'm getting there. Keith definitely is somebody that hasn't super caught my attention yet, but just seeing what he's done and knowing that I've liked the music in those is probably something I should dive a little deeper into. Yeah. So we'll see what future movies he is doing for Marvel in the terms of this podcast or just that we like in general. So Michelle, who was the writers behind this film? We have two writers. First, Chris McKenna has 10 writing credits, 28 episodes of American Dad, 10 episodes of Community, the Lego Batman movie. I like that one. Spider-Man Homecoming, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Spider-Man Far From Home. The other writer is Eric Summers. 16 writing credits, including nine episodes of American Dad, one episode of Community, the Lego Batman movie, Spider-Man Homecoming, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Spider-Man Far From Home. Something tells me these two are a regular team. Certainly looks that way. I need to find some panels that these two have done in the past few years, because I'm sure they've done something, right? And just see them as they talk about their work in general, because it looks like They might have not started that they were working together, but they are definitely working hand in hand right now. And I'd be interested, like The Expanse, it was two writers that had one pen name, S.A. Corey. I'd be wondering what their workflow is between the two. Like, does one person take a scene and the other person take a scene? Does one person take a character and another person take another character or something like that? I don't know. I'd be interested in all that. What I do know is that their work in this movie, in my opinion, was pretty good. There might have been some plot issues, which we'll talk about later, but I think their ability to combine a lot of the fun things, because they're really combining like 20 movies into one here, and I think they did a decent job of that. They probably had some help along the way, but if not, whatever the case, they did a decent job, in my opinion. Chris, do you agree? Oh, I mean, this thing was just so much fun, and like you, I need to go back and see if I can find something from them because I just bet those panels are going to be hilarious. I would imagine so, especially because of their community experience alone. It speaks a lot to that. Anyway, Michelle, why don't we start off going through some of the cast? Well, I'm going to cover the main villains. Of course, we have Reese Hyphens back as Dr. Kirk Connors. We saw him more as the lizard than him. We really got to see him at the end. Thomas Hayden Church came back as Flint Marco Sandman. Mostly his voice, again, that pain of wanting to see his daughter. That's the reason why he wanted to come home. And then really the three 
that I'm really glad got to come back. Jamie Foxx is Matt Dillon, Electro. Got to have more style, more bravado. Got to have these really cool moments of fighting and such. We'll get to that later. And of course, Alfred Molina as Dr. Otto Octavius, seeing him back again, having fun with it. That fight on the bridge was amazing. And of course, Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn. We really can't have all of these villains come back unless we have Green Goblin. And he, it was like with Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina, it's almost as though they were like, yeah, we were playing these characters last week because of how seamless they really got back into it. It was just amazing. I got to admit, seeing the villains at, back on the screen, I haven't, I'm not a huge Spider-Man fan in that I don't like keep watching the movies over and over and over again. And what I wanted to do before this came out is go over the Spider-Man movies again, but I thought I had an extra week, so I didn't. I was just going off of my memories from like the original time that I've seen these movies. I own all of them. It's just, you have so much to watch that I haven't really had a chance to watch them. But yeah, seeing them out there really brought the feelings from the past movies, at least for me, in there. And that was great. And, and Thomas Hayden Church, I was wondering if we were going to actually get to see him in the movie. We did for that one brief scene after he was quote unquote cured, right? We actually saw him at the end. Yeah, just like with Dr. Connors with Reese Siphons. A little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Just like, I don't know, five, 15 seconds, something like that. Chris, who do you want to talk about? Well, I think the secret Black Horse candidate for best character in this movie was Zendaya as MJ. The way she portrays MJ in these movies, I think, is just perfectly capturing what MJ does on the comic pages, but is definitely her own take on the character at the same time. I can see comic Mary Jane doing everything that Zendaya MJ does in the movies. And it's just wonderful. You had JK Simmons coming back as J Jonah Jameson, because if anybody else is J Jonah Jameson, then the movie is instantly crap. That's my theory. As long as he's available to do it, he needs to be Jameson because that he is Jameson at this point. There's just no other way to do it. And the three Spider-Men, you have Tom Holland as Peter Parker of this world and Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker of World 2 and Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker of World B. And I just made those names up. But the way that they all played on each other, you get a different era of Spider-Man with all of them. But the way that they interact with each other is exactly how I have seen different spider people interacting with each other on the comic pages. All right, before we go any further, let's make a pact between the three of us. We haven't discussed this beforehand, so I just wanted to have this discussion actually on the podcast. How are we going to be referring to this? Now, I propose to do the same thing that the closed captioning did and that Tom Holland is Peter 1, Andrew Garfield is Peter 2, and Tommy McGuire is Peter 3. But I can be convinced to do some other convention. Michelle, what do you propose? In my notes, it was Peter Parker, which meant Tom Holland. And then I wrote Andrew and Toby. <laughs> so maybe that's how we do it. Tom, Andrew and Toby or Peter as Tom. That, that'd that be fine. Chris, what do you think? So how did the closed captioning handle it that Andrew Garfield in the movie was Peter Parker 3? No, Andrew Garfield was Parker 2. 
Did I say that wrong? I think you did. Okay, so Andrew is Spider-Man 2 and Toby was Spider-Man 3 because in order of appearance, I think. Okay, yeah, that's weird because when they're all together trying to get their plan going, Andrew is Peter 3. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. This it's is crazy. why I I'm going to use their um actor names. Yeah, actor names as much as possible. Okay. So Listener, that's what we're going to do. If you have a better convention to use, let us know. All right. The three Spider-Man, it was great. It was definitely great after we did the whole Into the Spider-Verse movie a few years ago. I'm just used to seeing multiple Spider-Man on the screen now, and I I don't have a problem with it. And I'm glad that they were able to do it in live action. Sony got some action from their previous properties, both from the Spider-Man and from the villains. I enjoyed their interactions. Some of it was a little two maybe we shouldn't have seen it on the screen maybe they should have been behind a curtain somewhere or whatever some self-love between them but yeah i like that and zendaya she was amazing i hope if they do another movie that they continue mj in and i don't what to call this at this point i guess it's still mcu so i hope that they continue a zendaya as mj in the mcu but i do know that there have been other past the other past MJ wants to come into the MCU. I mean, wouldn't you? So I don't know what they're going to do in the future. We'll see multiple MJs. Why not? Why not? Right. And then JK said, you're right. He did a fun job. I think he just likes doing the character. and doesn't have that much of a comic background, but he was great. Up. You'd think that, but then his role in um, avatar legend of Korra is also that jk simmons like character oh yeah <laughs> well and then every time i see him on his insurance commercials that he does on tv i'm like that's jay jones jameson a benevolent one but you know that's him maybe he just doesn't have that much range so the actors that i decided to cover are bennett cumberbatch played dr strange we'll talk about it a little bit later i think he did great with the lines that he was given but i don't know if it was generally the right thing to do in the case you're trying to get from a to b and you're dealing with some stuff that has been set in motion so i think the writers were boxed in a little bit but anyway i think he did a decent job we get benedict wong again it was really short but we get him again and we get confirmation that he is now the sorcerer supreme of this universe so congratulations benedict wong we can't talk about the cast without talking about marissa tomei she got an oscar very early in her career for my cousin Vinny. i'm glad she got to be part of the mcu i'm very sad that there's a potential here that she won't be part of the mcu going forward we'll talk about that later but i think in her scenes that she had especially in her last scene it was very well done and it did both the character and the ip justice Thank you very much for your acting and your portrayal of the character Marissa Tomei. This is something we've been talking about for a while. And actually, we haven't been talking about it for a while because we've been trying to stay spoiler free, but we've known about it for a while. Charlie Cox comes in at Matt Murdock. I have a couple of things to say about that later. It was a very short scene, but he just, it was like he stepped right back into the character without any issues whatsoever. He is Matt Murdock. Both. Michelle and I have seen him pretty close and personal at a con a few years ago, 
And he is very thoughtful, passionate, and considerate when he's up there talking to people and everything. But it's nice to see him up there. And of course, it was all CGI done or whatever. But his reflexes, at least on screen, seem okay. So I think we can jump back into him playing the character if that's what's happening. And then I just want to say, uh, this might not be the last time we see John Favreau on screen as Happy Hogan, but I'd be hard pressed to find a rationale for him to come back at this point. So that might have been the last time we see Happy. Don't know that for sure. John Favreau is still within the Disney umbrella for sure. He just elevated his importance over on the Star Wars side. So we'll see what happens with John Favreau in the future. But it was nice to see Happy Hogan back again. He was in the first movie. He did the first movie in 2008 with Iron Man. And he's taking it all the way this far. So it's hard not to acknowledge him as things go forward. So that's the cast. So I'm going to go over the IMDb synopsis for this really quick. It's really short. This is the official one, by the way, because, of course, IMDb is populated with like everybody is like trying to throw their two cents in there and, and give their synopsises. But this was the official one. With Spider-Man's identity now revealed, Peter asks Dr. Strange for help when a spell goes wrong. Dangerous foes from other worlds start to appear, forcing Peter to discover what it truly means to be Spider-Man. Okay, that's pretty good for three lines, but we can do better. So, Michelle, let's go over our synopsis. Picking up right where Spider-Man Far From Home left off, Peter and his friends find themselves in the trouble with damage control and with the court of public opinion as his identity becomes well-known as the purple guy, Thanos. Nick Fury's been off-planet for a year. MJ is well-versed in interrogation tactics. Ned crumples under pressure, and Aunt May just wants to see Peter. Matt Murdock comes in to save the day and Peter's head from a brick, and Charlie Cox makes his MCU debut. Peter returns to school, where we shape heroes, with all eyes and phones pointed at him, where the only place to hide out is on the roof. The trio of friends cannot get into college, so Peter resorts to seeking Dr. Strange help without even giving MIT a call. Now, seriously, guys, what is it these days with kids not wanting to pick up a phone and actually call somebody that they just expect that they have to do something absolutely radical in order to move forward? It's a generational thing. I don't get it. Just pick up the phone. Give somebody a call. Wong is now Sorcerer Supreme, and Doctor Strange hastily wants to help Peter when everything goes wrong. All of Spider-Man's foes that know his true identity flock to the MCU timeline and are rounded up like cattle in a John Wayne Western to the Sorcerer's Dungeon, just before Strange is set to send everybody back to kill them to their respective universes. Peter steals the spell Bound, which is in a block thing that looks like a tesseract. I, I don't know. And comes up with a plan to save everyone. Goblin decides to try to stay and massive fights ensue, killing Aunt May, leaving Peter all alone. Ned became a wizard and connects with Spider-Man 3, Andrew Garfield, and Spider-Man 2, Tobey Maguire. And now all the toys are here to play. After some Spider-Man self-love, the trio of multiverse superheroes collect and save all the villains, send them back to their respective universes and dimensions before Doctor Strange has to redo his first spell and everyone forgets Peter Parker. In a tear-jerking epilogue, Peter starts to live his own life, unencumbered by relationships, as no one remembers who Peter is. Michelle, what'd you think? The movie is a lot of fun, until you have to think about it. 
I think this was a perfect way to tie all of the different Spider-Man franchises together. I wish they could find a good way to do this with Batman. Yeah, that would be cool. Now, in my opinion, it was a film It was full of world building or bringing together worlds that have previously been built. Special guest stars, cameos, and farewells. Fun was had along the way. There was just some hilarious dialogue. And everybody is now wondering what Sony and Marvel are going to do with the Spider-Man character and the IP in the future based on what has come out of this. So that's my two cents. Let's talk about the premise, the plot, the key thing that went along the way to make this movie the way it is. And Michelle, I think you have some things to say, so we'll start with you. This is a part where, when you think about it, where I... <sighs> where's the support system it's like off screen pepper could have just made some phone calls and made the whole thing go away why is peter all alone why is the world like oh my goodness he's spider-man when everyone knew that tony was iron man i know this is a post blip world and there's still world trauma with the whole thanos thing but why is peter all alone why when we go to dr strange this Doctor Strange is like, okay, kid, I'll do a wish thing for you. Why wish to erase yourself? Why not wish for everyone to forget Mysterio? Why not wish for people to realize J. Jonah Jameson's reporting was awful and that he was lying and that there could have been fake, you know, everything? Just why couldn't there just be an, a villain that brought everybody together? Look. It's just, again, this is, it, it's like Endgame. Endgame is fun and great until you see Captain America at the end. It's just one of those things where it's just, why, why, and why, and why, and why? Because he's still a kid and doesn't think things through, and he's hormonal. It's the only thing I could think of. Also, Peter's a little bit messed up, too. Doctor Strange, yeah, he definitely. I think overstep things going in and doing the spell, especially after Peter told him that nobody called MIT to try to convince them to let people in. Like, really, you're going to be an adult here, quote unquote adult rather, and go try to erase the history of the world because a kid wanted to get his friends into college. And that's just a little bit messed up. I have a slight issue with. Stephen Strange. Yeah, I'll allow it. Stephen Strange. So I have an issue with the fact that he did the spell so easily. You're talking to a kid, and maybe he's just not used to talking to a kid. I can see that. He's not a parent. He's never had a kid. He doesn't really deal with kids because he's dealing with adult things along the way. But you need to sit the kid down, and you need to talk to him about, okay, what have you tried? I'm so sorry. Can... We do something else to try to get, I mean, he could have probably made a couple of phone calls to his people in the medical field that are, or related to the medical field or businessmen or whatever, and made some inroads with some of these colleges, whether it's MIT or NYU, which I believe canonically is where he goes to NYU. So there's a lot of things that Stephen Strange himself should have done along the way and that was my issue as soon as he got to Stephen Strange and Stephen's like boom right into it and he's making the spell and they haven't even thought about okay what exactly do you want this spell it's a big spell 
And he is just doing it willy-nilly. I think that Doctor Strange should be a little bit more cautious with spells these days because of everything that's happened. Now, maybe I, I could be mistaken. Maybe he thinks this is no big deal. I think erasing somebody from everybody, including myself, I would think twice about personally, especially since I had had such a huge bond with this person. Maybe not necessarily person to person, but you've just been through something huge and traumatic together. And you're just like, okay, I'm just going to forget you. Like, I could see I'm going to do this for you because we bonded over that, but I can't see I'm just going to forget you like that. I would have made allowances in the spell to begin with, but I can see plot wise while the spell is in motion. And if you're changing the spell while it's being cast, I could see how this all happened at that point. But to get to that point, it's like, there's so many things that should have happened that didn't happen. It's like, uh, and as Neil used to say, because blocked, that's why they needed to get from A to B. But Wong deserves so much better. He's the Sorcerer Supreme. He should have been probably. Anyway, I saw the preview for Dr. Strange and. Someone says you're probably the worst thing to happen. And just like with this first half, I'm still like Odin is a villain and part of the problem. I really feel like in his next few movies, I'm going to be the one going, Doctor Strange is the villain here. Really, if nothing else, Doctor Strange should have realized that he's getting a wish request from somebody who is not a sorcerer, has no experience with magic. And should have explained how exactly monkey's paw-ish perfectly you have to express what you want this spell to be. Also, if I'm Doctor Strange, I don't care what Peter says. I'm going to make an allowance that me and the rest of the Avengers get to remember who Peter is. Michelle, you brought up a great point. Where are the other Avengers? I was thinking that too. I was going through my head like, okay, some are probably off planet like Captain Marvel. But there's people there that he should have been able to call like Ant-Man. Where is he in this whole thing? Now, not that he's got a lot of clout, but at least he could have tried a few things or gone there to, to help him out through this rough time and, and everything and nothing. Maybe Janet Van Dyne. You're right. Pepper Potts was probably the biggest phone call he could have made. And it just didn't happen. And neither did the whole thing with Happy. I think because Happy broke up with Aunt May, maybe they were trying to distance the two. But there are other people. I mean, you're right. Peter is not alone. He could have, I don't know, sent a text or something. I don't know how superheroes communicate these days. But he sure had a lot of cameras on him in school. There was an interesting dichotomy. There was the Peter Parker supporters, and then there was the Peter Parker naysayers, right? You killed Mephisto. I think... You killed Mysterio? Excuse me, Mysterio. Totally right, screwed up, wrong character. But I see that in today's society, where you have people that are diametrically opposed and outright argumentative about certain things so i could see that part of this whole thing happening yeah in indeed that part was unfortunately realistic the court of public opinion instant takes on instagram and twitter 
whatever the MCU equivalents of those are. One of the things, though, that I really enjoyed was, I know people don't like this phrase, the power of friendship, but those moments when MJ, Ned, and Peter are together, where MJ gets angry, and rightfully so, when she learns that Peter went to Doctor Strange in the first place. Aren't we friends? Aren't we supposed to do this together? Ned is like, I'm the person in the chair. You know, you can take the person out of the chair, but you can't take the chair out of me. I, I love that about Ned. And even when Peter's down, there was that great moment on the roof where they're all together and they're all hugging. Going through something like that and still having your friends is powerful. And it's one of the things I like about this movie, the relationships, even when the three Spider-Men come together. Yes, that uh, moment with Andrew Garfield with the I love you. That's why I did the because of like that. It was still that heart of this movie. So even like I wanted to get away the premise out of my system first. Because again, I enjoyed this movie. And part of it was because of the relationships that we actually got in here. Because even though Peter's going through all of this awful stuff, he still has that immediate support system. I think the last few years, especially, have proven how quickly people can make an opinion on things, how reluctant some of those people are to change their opinion, and how important it is to have a group of friends that you can go to to both check your opinion and see if you're being a little bit off the rails, but also just as a source of support because everybody else around you is on the opposite side of you. And that's so hard to deal with when you're surrounded every day by people that you think are going to end up on the wrong side of history. I have a couple of things to say about the trio of friends. First of all, MJ and Peter slinging through the city. That was pretty cool to see. I mean, obviously done via CGI. They didn't really do it in person, but it was really fun to see how they actually were depicting it and everything. And like MJ is just holding on to him. And MJ, I think, echoed most other people. I don't care who you are. You start doing that stuff and you don't have the spidey sense. You're going to get a little motion sick because it's like really weird. And, and you get it's like the worst roller coaster ride. It's like Space Mountain in Walt Disney World before they turned the lights up where you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know where you were going to go and you were worried about crashing into the wall and stuff like that. And you turn the lights up because of safety factors so you can see where the track's going now. But in there, you didn't. And so that's how it's like here with the slinging, which I think graphically throughout the entire movie was done well with all three of the Spider-Men. My kudos is to the graphic design team on that. And I really liked specifically how whenever spider-man was saving somebody like andrew was saving mj at the end or where they're just going from one place to another i did like how they did or the fights too the fights were just amazing in this because you had so much going on it wasn't like a transformers i'm going to show you three dark scenes and then i'm going to or three dark little frames and then we're going to go to another three dark frames and i'm going to go in another three dark frames no they actually did it so you could follow the fight as it was going along. And there's so much happening at the same time that you have to cut from one to another. I don't think you could have done a single scene fight throughout the, you know, a single camera fight movement throughout this entire thing. And I can't even remember in Endgame if the uh, female Avengers, 
I don't remember if that was one camera shot throughout the entire thing or, or not, but it's very difficult to do with so much going on around you. So I don't mind that they didn't even try that, but it was really good, the, the whole fights. You guys like the CGI? I think they did a really good job with it. I really hope that in 10 years it still looks good. We'll see. I don't think we've gotten far enough into CGI being really good to know how good this is going to be in the future, but I have faith in it. Yeah, there was really no obvious CGI moments for me that took me out of the movie. The web slinging shots were done smoothly and the fights, the fights were just amazing. The choreography that must have gone into that in the rehearsal, it's one thing to just have a regular fight scene, but you've got multiple stories with the Statue of Liberty. You've got inside, you've got the scaffolding, you're up, you're down. There's a portal all of a sudden and you, and it was, it was great. Poor Cap Shield. It just can't stay up. (laughs) It gets knocked out. And I do like how Jameson was saying, I can't believe they're at the Statue of Liberty. They're going to ruin another national monument. And like, oh, well, yeah, it's, it's coming. I don't think there's any doubt in that. I could see the, the outrage on that. But at least it was only the shield and it wasn't the rest of the Statue of Liberty. Okay, the, the other thing I want to talk about about the trio of friends was Ned. Ned all of a sudden has discovered he has some sort of talent for magic. I think Wong needs to take Ned underneath his wing and show him a thing or two about magic before Ned goes off and does some really crazy stuff. At the end, though, it seems as though they don't. uh, Here it comes with the whole memory thing, because now the whole world's forgotten Peter, which I don't even know. How does he get a bank account? How does he even get that apartment? The whole world doesn't know he exists and he's just not even a fly on the wall. It's just. Oh, it's okay. We're going to talk about it later anyway. We might as well talk about it right now. Peter Parker forgets everything, right? So at the very end, you get him moving in boxes. If everybody's forgotten who he is, already Aunt May's apartment is already trashed. So I don't know. Maybe he's got some stuff to salvage over there. Happy's place is trashed. I don't know where he's getting this stuff from because everybody's forgot. I, maybe it was in his locker at school, whatever. He brings in the GED thing because he. There's no record of him going to school, so if he's going to get anywhere in life, he's got to get a high school diploma so then he can get in college, right? And then do something with his life unless he wants to become a 100% superhero. But we already know through other things that how do you pay for being a superhero, right? So you got to make money somehow. You got to pay the rent somehow. There's been a lot of references to that in the past MCU films and the Disney Plus series over the past couple of years. So yeah, you got peter trying to piece his life together and then he goes to the ice cream shop and he wants to at least introduce himself to mj and i think in the middle of introducing himself and going through the dialogue back and forth he realizes that he would be better off protecting her not being part of her life that had to be a horrible revelation to him and the whole reason why he wanted to do the spell anyway is he didn't want to hurt his friends anymore and he still wanted to be spider-man because there was things that he needed to do to be spider-man because aunt may said you need to continue on with this mission 
So yeah, Peter's just in a bad place at the end of this, but he's also at peace with it. I think a little bit, it's going to, he's going to get lonely though. Chris, what do you think? It kind of ties in a lot of why I like ghost spider stuff because Peter has to accept this is what he's done. This is the world that he has set up for himself. There are people that don't know who he is that he's just going to have to work around. And there's not really much he can do about it without messing up the balance that he set so much work into place trying to make happen. Oh, I know. Because if they forgot about him, then do they remember the last few days? And so does Ned even remember that he could sort of be magic? I don't know. And even if he doesn't remember, he's still got that innate ability right so it might manifest itself down the road so it's in wong well okay here's the deal would wong know about ned i don't think so right yeah but does forgetting about peter inherently mean that they forget about ned making the portal no it's just that wong wasn't around when ned was around strange saw it though so somebody knows Strange did, but I don't think Strange cares. I think Wong would care. I don't think Strange... Strange has got bigger issues going on right now. He's got the whole multiverse thing to worry about, right? So he's not going to pay Ned any attention. And when Wong finds out, he's going to be pissed. Yeah, and Wong deserves better. Wong deserves Ned, so... Well, I guess Ned doesn't have to worry about being a really oblivious third wheel anymore. So that whole thing about being Spider-Man's best friend, that's a lot it could cut a lot of different ways right so you got ned and you got flash right and flash has got the flash point book out there and he doesn't mention peter parker in it maybe i maybe no he doesn't because he, he must have done the book before he knew that spider-man was peter so at least he's got the book out there so according to everybody flash is his best friend and oh yeah flashpoint yeah that was nice all right so as far as marissa Tomei's death or Aunt May's death i think it was very interesting to do we didn't have the uncle ben moment right in here still don't know what happened to uncle ben in this universe but aunt may gives the you know with great power comes great responsibility line so at least there was that and i was thinking about it i don't think tom holland spider-man could have connected to andrew or toby's spider-man at the level that they needed to connect without aunt may's death it was horrible i hate that it happened but eventually it was going to happen sooner or later in this universe, unless they go back to whatever happened with uncle Ben, but uncle Ben's not around. So I don't know, maybe this was the only way that the entire MCU could move forward. And I just hate that Marissa Tormey is not going to be a part of it anymore, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Did this have to happen? I can't think of a way though. That's the problem. Like you, at some point, Spider-Man needs that person that he loves to die and to realize that he has a bigger purpose than just running around being a pro wrestler or stopping low-level criminals and stuff. I mean, like you, I hate that it had to be Aunt May here because Aunt May has so many good stories that could have been told. Like, we could have seen Marissa Tomei dating Alfred Molina. You know, how cool would that have been? But you do need that kind of heartbreak for Spider-Man to be Spider-Man. And you get that moment where the other two, you know, Toby and Andrew are, where does, where does he go to think? You know, for me, it's the Chrysler 
building. For me, it's the Empire State Building and MJ knows and they're there and they're talking about their pain and Peter starts, you know, with great power comes and Toby finishes great responsibility. And it's like, well, how do you know that? And it's like, well, when my uncle Ben died and Andrew is just like talking about Gwen and we get that spectrum. Toby is the older one who's been through it. He's got the back problem. Who's been stabbed one too many times. You've got Andrew who has admitted that to gotten bitter You've been lashing out a bit more because of what happened with Gwen. And then they see it with Peter during that fight with the Green Goblin when Toby comes in and stops because they know what it means to be Spider-Man. They understand that path that he could take and they want to make sure that, yes, the pain happened, but to use the pain correctly. Chris, you're a big Gwen fan, Spider-Gwen normally, but you're Gwen in general. Do you think Andrew saving Gwen redeemed himself at all for that or redeemed Sony for that happening? Or did you have a problem with the Gwen death in Andrew's run? I haven't seen that one in a really long time. God. The, the, the debate about it is, does King Goblin... Green Goblin is the one that causes their fall, but the whole thing was the way he just shoots the web and catches her and forgetting Newton's laws of motion about inertia, that sudden stop. There's a reason why we wear seatbelts. Okay? It's why we, you know, one of the reasons why we have proper restraints, because what happens is that inertia ends up breaking her neck. And so when we get MJ falling, Andrew realizes a better way to save a falling woman is to not shoot a web at her, to dive after her and try to do something else. And I think that expression that Andrew had when he saves MJ that way, it kind of healed a little bit. You know, like I've learned something. Yes, Gwen's dead, but I learned something from it. And I saved MJ this way. And I think he can move forward a little bit after this. I hate that this is when they take actual real world physics and make it apply in comics mm. and everything. But also I just love there at the end, you know, he's asking MJ if she's okay. And, yeah, I'm okay. Are you okay? And he's not okay. You can tell the look on his face. So as long as we're talking about real world physics and everything like that, high school chemistry laboratories, Super science can be done there in a matter of minutes, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had all the chemicals in my school. It seems to be a top-notch high school because four of the students are aiming for MIT. MIT is not a backup school. It is something you aim for. It's one of the top engineering schools, along with Rolls-Holman, which is here in Indiana. It's one of the top ones. Stanford, I still believe, is still one of the top ones. It's something that it works hard. You work hard for it. Flash is getting in and everyone wanting to get in. So this high school must have a great science program if so many of their students can get into MIT. So I think it's possible if it's one of those science magnet schools that they possibly, yeah, they, it's possible for them to do super science. Okay. I went through the MIT application process. 
there are interviews involved. There are parties that you have to go to and you're observed or your interactions and stuff like that. It's not just academics because they want to make sure that you can withstand the rigors of the high stress environment that you're going to be in. Now, a while back, and I don't know if it's true anymore, but MIT had the highest freshman suicide rate amongst all the colleges or at least engineering colleges across. So they took pains to try to prevent that. And it's a very, so the party anyway, that flash was talking about is real. You go to these parties and stuff like that. And, um, I did get into MIT. I decided not to go to MIT because I wanted to pursue other opportunities, but you're right. It is not a backup school. It is like the school that you're shooting for. I'm trying to remember the acceptance rate from like the uh, initial submissions, like 20, let's say 20,000 people submit for initial information or send off to MIT every year for initial information. The acceptance rates from that is like 1500 maybe or something like that. So it is a neck down thing and it is very difficult to get into and kudos for anybody that can get into it, even in a fictional world, like we're talking about here. We know that Tony Stark went to MIT, right? Yeah. Yep. It was in the very beginning of the 2008 movie where they were doing that montage of him graduating early and everything. So, yep. and then he went back to MIT when he was doing the scholarship thing and everything. So, yeah, Tony's got some pull there, which again, Pepper Potts would, you think, have some pull over at yeah. MIT. Apparently, all you need to do is save one of the admissions people on the bridge, though, and you're fine. Well, that was impressive, right? But now she's forgot about him. Well, she's forgotten about him, which I guess the issue with MJ and Ned never happened. So they never had that issue. I don't know. How's that retcon? It's all the problem of time travel movies without the time travel. Yeah, there's no time travel. So how can you go back and redo stuff that, I don't know, maybe they finally pick up the phone call and say, hey, what's wrong with my application? Oh, there's nothing wrong with your application. You're in. Yay. <sighs> What do you guys think about the suits? Let's talk about the suits for a second, because I liked the tech suit and he obviously doesn't have the tech suit anymore. Peter doesn't have the Tom Holland doesn't have the tech suit anymore. I feel a little bit sad about that, but I think it also equalizes him to where his character was supposed to be without the Avengers. So I don't know. What do you think? I love the moment where there's Doc Ock and then he comes out with his own <laughs> tentacle mechanical leg sort of deal and then Otto steals the nanotech but Peter's just like oh you got my nanites now beep boop beep boop I now have control of your arms it was interesting appendages against appendages scientists against scientists and having the different suits as you can see if you're watching the video here behind my head made it so much easier to be able to tell which spider-man you were looking at I love that they kept the suits. I love that each Spider-Man kind of had their own suit because different runs of Spider-Man in the comics have a little bit of a different drawing on the suit. You can tell which one you're looking at if you know what you're looking for. And I think the entire thing was just amazing. And I'll be really interested to see what happens with Tom Holland's suit going forward. Yeah, how it evolves because he's sewing it himself right now, but he is adept at science. So we'll see. But he also is doesn't have a lot of money, so 
getting a hold of the raw material might be difficult for him. Like advanced. I'm not talking about fabric. He could get that from Joanne's or something. I'm, t- I'm talking about, you know, like the actual tech that goes behind. Well, where's he going to get the material for his web fluid? I was thinking about that too. That was great with Toby. He's like, where, where does that come out of? You, you ever get web block? Yeah, it's happened. Performance anxiety. So what do you guys think? Final thoughts of the movie. Chris, off to you. This was, I think, just a wonderful tie together of everything. And I prefer not to think about it that hard because I just want to have a fun Spider-Man movie. And we have a really fun Spider-Man movie that has Venom in it. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the mid-credit or post-credit scene with Venom in there. And too bad Lauren's not here because I know she's a big Venom fan. I did enjoy that they at least put that in there. I mean, Sony probably was like, yeah, we got to connect to this property somehow. I don't know if this means Venom is in the MCU now or MCU capable or something like that. As far as the movie goes, I had fun watching it. I did not have any expectations. I know it did phenomenal in the box office, right? I did not have any expectations going in. And I think that was better for me because as Michelle said, you start thinking too hard about this. You're like, I don't, I also, I'm really big into the world building and this was world building on top of world building. So I really liked it and enjoyed it. And I'm wondering what I'm going to think about it in a year. If I come back and rewatch it, I'm wondering about that. So Michelle, what do you think? Yes. Once you scrape off that part of the wish and forget about Dr. Strange. This is a Spider-Man movie. It didn't need to be Spider-Man and Dr. Strange. When you cut all that off, you get some of the most amazing fight sequences I've seen in a Spider-Man movie in a long time. That bridge fight between him and Doc Ock. The multi-level building smashing fight with Green Goblin. We've got the Statue of Liberty where it's everybody. You got Electro, you got Sandman. Connors ends up in there. It's just everyone coming in. And then you get get Doc Ock coming back because Green Goblin thinks after he got shocked again, because again, that chip gets fixed and then wanted him to be bad again. They see he's on his side. And all of a sudden, just that switch. No, I'm actually still Otto. I didn't go bad again, Green Goblin. So there you go, Osborne. All of that was just amazing. The character interactions, the idea of what does it mean to be Spider-Man? What does it mean to be your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? And to see all of them together again. One of the things I liked about with CW's prices is we got to see Brandon Ralph as Superman. He kind of got that redemptive moment. We got to see Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man again. I felt bad for him because all of a sudden his movies were just dropped. He was a good Spider-Man and I'm glad he got this chance to do it. And I'm really glad we got the recreation of the infamous three spiders pointing at each other meme. We got that. It was great. And one thing that I liked in this movie was that you had the relationship of the three. So, I know they're all older now, right? They're in their mid to late 20s. But the kids, you didn't have that teen angst. And I'm so thankful for not getting teen angst in a superhero movie. I really am because I don't think it lasts long. I don't think it plays long. 
And as you get older, you just you stop caring about the teen angst. You're like, oh my gosh, just. But they still played it as Peter was impulsive because he didn't talk to the MIT. So I get that, but at least we didn't get angst with it. So I was very thankful for that. I was really enjoying, as you were saying, that the villains in there as well. And the last thing that I want to leave without, I can't leave without saying it, is you had that one line by Max Dillon, Jamie Foxx of, why do you think with all these universes, we'd get a black Spider-Man? So they didn't like say it's not possible. We've already had it in Into the Spider-Verse. We're I think going to have it eventually on the screen somehow. I don't think they're not going to make that happen, but I'm glad they at least acknowledged it in this film because it's something if you're talking about diversity, it's something that needs to be stated. I know we're getting a bunch of diversity in the MCU now, but you have this ability to have an African-American Spider-Man and let's do this. So I don't know if that was a test line or not that was thrown in there for the character of Max Dillon, but I'm glad it was at least stated. This movie, while it did have its plot issues, was fun and it hit some high points along the way. I'm glad they did. And in the true mode of crisis, you got to play with a lot of different pieces across the board. So, yep, very thankful for that. Now, the last thing that I'll leave this segment before we go on to the new segment today is that the box office to date for this is pretty impressive. You had a domestic take of opening weekend of $260 million. That's in pandemic time. So without pandemic, think about how big that would have actually been. And then to date domestically, it's $793.4 million. International is $1 billion, $84 million, $4 million. And then worldwide, if you combine it all together, it's $1.8 billion, closing in on $1.9 billion. I don't know if they're going to get to $1.9 billion or not, but $1.9 billion for this at the two-year mark of the pandemic. A Spider-Man movie, this was the first time that you got this type of movie in a long time. If you look at the rankings of where this falls with all of the other movies, so if you take a look at the domestic opening, Avengers Endgame was $357 million. Spider-Man No Way Home is number two at $260 million because Avengers Infinity War is number three at $257 million. Now, some of that might be inflation, but at least that gives you an idea of where it stands now. If you take a look at the worldwide total and you do a uh, comparison of all the movies, this is all the MCU movies. I'm not doing all comic book movies. This is just the MCU movies. And I will count the Spider-Man movies as part of it. The number one, of course, is Endgame at $2.79 billion. Avengers Infinity War is number two at $2.04 billion. And then there's Spider-Man No Way Home at $1.87 billion. That's number three. Number four, by the way, is The Avengers at $1.5 billion. It's pretty good box office showing for this. 
All right, the next time we get together, we're going to be talking about X-Men, the animated series, The Phoenix Saga, that season three, episodes three through seven. We teased that we were going to do it this week, but because this movie came out, we decided to watch it instead. So that's what we're going to do next week. In the meantime, we do have some interesting Marvel Studio news to cover. We're going to start off on a slightly sad note here, mostly sad note. William Hurt, who was the Thunderbolt Ross character in the MCU, he passed away last week. He was 71. In other articles that I read, he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer for about 18 months prior to that. He was listed as the death of natural causes, but he did a tremendous amount throughout his career he was nominated for four Oscars. You might know him from other things like Broadcast News or Children of a Lesser God, but he will be sorely missed. And I don't know about you guys, but thinking back, knowing what I know now, and I'm thinking back of his appearance in Black Widow and thinking of his appearance in Endgame, he was not the Thunderbolt Ross that I remember, or he was not the William Hurt that I remembered. But he was getting older, so I, I knew something was up. But thinking back on it, I'm wondering if he filmed like Black Widow while he was in treatment or something like that, because it it seemed that he was not his full self for that. But maybe that was just me. Maybe I'm projecting because of this. But it's going to be a big loss. And it also, I don't know how it's going to affect if Marvel had any plans on doing the Thunderbolts eventually. So that would affect Bucky Barnes, for instance. But yes, very sad. When did you guys find out and what did you think? Found out um, at some point during that day. He isn't somebody who I'd seen a bunch of his movies before, so I don't think it hit me in the same way that it hit you. But this is definitely, I mean, anytime somebody, it's an important character like this, just for the sake of the MCU, that's a bad thing because then they have to figure out how to work around that. But from all the reactions I was seeing from other people who know his work better than I do, just losing an actor like this no matter what because you're losing a human is always a sad thing yeah i found on the, out on the day of actually i think in our chat i think that's how i found out yeah such a tremendous actor very he's very interesting he's he knew how to play intelligent characters without seeming to be, I am an intelligent character. He really knew how to make them relatable, even if they were complete jerks. One of my favorite performances for him was if you go back to his sci-fi cred, right? And you go into the Jupiter 5. You guys know where I'm going here? Lost in space, by the way. He played one of the main characters in Lost in Space. So when I think of William Hurt, I think of Lost in Space and Broadcast News outside of his MCU. But he will be sorely missed, and we'll see what the MCU does in the future, as I stated before. Now, on to some more happier news. We got our first trailer of yet another Disney Plus series that will be airing on Disney Plus later this year. We got the miss marvel trailer and i am so excited for this i recently had a friend finally convince me they really had to twist my arm i know to read the g willow wilson run 
of Miss Marvel. And the only thing I'm thinking as I get through those first few issues is I have no idea why I haven't read this thing yet. And part of why I'm really liking it is you get a sense of Kamala Khan really loving these heroes that she reads about everywhere, sees everything really getting a connection to her culture and how she's having to fit in with this Jersey city culture that she's living in compared to her middle Eastern family. And I'm getting the same kind of feels here from the trailer. It looks like they might be taking the inhuman things out, which I'm totally fine with. So I'm curious about where they're going to run with that, but I'm so excited for this one. I am too. I watched it a couple of times. Is it an amulet or are they rings? Because now I'm thinking Shang-Chi. Are we doing like eternal tech or something? Because I'm trying to figure out if that's what it was and that's how her power is coming. Because I, like I said, I was watching it, but I couldn't really tell. Can one of you tell, can one of you tell me? I can tell you that I had the same questions you did. So there's been a lot of discussions about the change of her powers online, but I think they did it for whatever reasons. I think practical reasons as well as they wanted to take the character forward. I don't know what any of that means. I will wait until we actually see it. The one thing that I'm going to have to just deal with is, you know, when I don't know if the entire series is going to be like this, but they had those pop-ups along the way, you know? I know that's kind of big in the younger shows, the teen or tween shows that they do. And I'm wondering how that's going to play in this. Maybe it's just going to be a series that's just not meant for my generation. We're obviously going to cover it for the show. I will watch it, but I'm wondering how that's going to impact the whole thing. So we'll see. And maybe that's her power. I'm not sure entirely what's going on there. It's the flavor of Kamala Khan. She writes, she's a nerd. She also writes fan fiction about the Avengers. She's a complete fangirl living in the, you know, daydreams and fantasies and having crushes and dealing with that. She's not so much like emoting angst stuff, but she is still a teenager and they're bringing that out with the visual. I know she's a huge fan, and I'm not even going to say fangirl, but she's a huge fan of Captain Marvel. I mean, that's something we have in common, because I'm a big fan of Captain Marvel. You know, hey. Well, in the comics, when she gets the Terrigen Mist coming over her, she gets this vision of all the Avengers coming to talk to her. Like, oh, guess what? You have these powers now and stuff. You're going to need to do things. Yeah, I guess that's, uh, you said Terrigen Mist right there, and we talked about Inhumans both covered before on this show i just want to point out that since we recorded last agents of shield as well as all the other defender stuff but agents of shield is now available on disney plus so if you need your agents of shield fix go to disney plus michelle if you have another jonesen for something else i think that's available now too right indeed daredevil reportedly lands a reboot at marvel studios According to the latest issue of Production Weekly, a trustworthy industry publication dedicated to films and series that are about to begin production, Marvel Studios has a listing for a project simply described as Daredevil Reboot. 
The entry is filed alongside a plethora of projects already confirmed to be in development, including Deadpool 3, Madam Web, Raven the Hunter, and the DCEU movie Blue Beetle. There's currently no word yet on when fans can expect to see the Devil of Hell's Kitchen return to the MCU. All right, I got a question for you guys. So the term reboot is used in Hollywood quite a bit, and I think it's misused. I think in a lot of cases, like Quantum Leap, for instance, I've seen a lot of reboots. We're going to reboot Quantum Leap. Well, you know, you're not. It's a revival. It's not a reboot. So I'm wondering if Daredevil revival would have been a better thing here, or are we really legitimately rebooting it? And if we're rebooting it, is Charlie Cox going to be a part of it or not? I don't know. These are all questions I have. This is an unconfirmed report, basically. It's just something out of Production Weekly. I don't know. We'll see where this goes. But this is our first official indication that Disney slash Marvel is thinking of actually delving back into these properties that were on Netflix. We got Matt Murdock in, you know, the Spider-Man movie, catching that brick. I loved that moment. And with Peter's confused face, it's like, how did you do that? I'm just a really good lawyer. If you could get the Netflix cast back, I don't know what you'd have to do to do that. I know a lot of them have gone on to other projects. Some of them are probably easier to get away from than others. But you had such good cast there for everything. And I want to see them come back so bad because I really, really can tell with Daredevil that they had more stuff they were ready to do. Yeah, I'd be fine. If they're going to bring back the original cast, but I don't know. One thing that I want to talk about, about Charlie Cox in the movie, now that everybody's forgotten about everything, it's a very convenient way to not bring in Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock. Like this is just a one-off everybody forgets and whatever. And it's not an MCU property, although it is, this is the combination of the two studios. I'm having a problem wrapping my brain around it because is this legitimately MCU or not? Because I don't think this film gets made if it's in the MCU the way that it was made. I think Marvel Studios would have done it differently. But this is the way Sony wanted to do it. And I, yeah, I know Kevin Feige's been working across the board with everything. And I know they brought the characters across, like Mr. Tomei, like Happy. And it, I get it, but I don't know. Anyway, if this is true, it is a great indication moving forward. And I did very much enjoy the first i know it's dark and gritty but i enjoyed the first season of daredevil probably other than agents of shield it was probably my single best favorite whatever you want to call it season of a comic book show out there for a very long time of course we got the disney plus stuff now that competes to it but yeah i would very much like that cast back i would very much like all the cast from daredevil back and I think they all would like to come back, by the way, because, well, this is the Marvel money train and it is a money train right now. So just from a career standpoint, you want to get back in there, make it happen, so to speak. I don't know. We'll see. Michelle, what is your over under on this actually happening? There's been a lot of talk of Charlie Cox being daredevil. It's not like it's one of those things where it was just a one off, you know, last year and people just forgot about it. Daredevil's been mentioned a lot lately. His name's been thrown out a lot lately. I, I would, I want Daredevil back. I want Deborah Ann Wall back. I want Foggy Nelson back. And I'm really sorry. I can't remember your real name. 
Uh, I know you have one, but I want you back as well. The, I want those three. I want the I want the three avocados back. <laughs> I think I have a coffee mug with the three avocados on it. I think I do. Murdoch and Nelson avocados at law. Yeah, I do. I, I'll have uh, uh, to prove it next time we podcast. I will definitely bring it on here, but. Eldon Henson, by the way, is his name, which I will admit I was just looking up, so I forgot as well. I just continually think his real name is Fulton, like in Mighty Ducks. Yeah, right. Because he that's where he got. We covered that before on this podcast. I don't know if you listen to those episodes or not, but I'm like, yeah, he's part of the Mighty Ducks. All right. Well, that's enough fun news for tonight. We're going to get on out of here. Thank you, listener, for hanging in there with us. We really appreciate you being part of our Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. family. Thank you, our Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. team, you know, to get like all agency and stuff on it. And we would love to hear your thoughts on Spider-Man No Way Home. We know a bunch of you watched it months ago, but if you're rewatching it, let us know what you think on your second watch. We would appreciate that. And we will talk about it and play it on a future show. Yeah, thank you for everyone for listening. And by the way, my mom enjoyed it. She too agrees that if you think about it, but she enjoyed it. She thought it was funny and all of that. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm shell underscore game. And you can find me here for right now. Yes, it's always fun hearing from people. So I want to know what everybody, especially where you agree and disagree with us. That's the fun part. That's how you get conversations started. I can very quietly say that technically my wife did not like the movie because I watched it without her yesterday <laughs> and I had to swear that I would watch it again with her this weekend. And Oh darn, that's going to be so horrible. <laughs> the sacrifices you make. Uh, I know, right? Yeah. I watched it very late last night. Long story short, this is the NCAA tournament season. And a team that is close to one of my family members was in a game last night. So I couldn't start the movie until nine o'clock last night. And it's a two and a half hour long movie. There was a little suffrage going on, but it, I did not mind watching the movie. It wasn't, we didn't talk about it, but this is a movie that I wouldn't have minded seeing in the theater. Normally with movies, I'm like, I could just watch that at home. This one, I think I would have liked to see in the theater with a bunch of friends just getting together and just enjoying a movie and, and maybe talk. Maybe that's part of my issues. I don't like people that talk through movies or, or make noise or stuff like that. I, I like reactions to the movies, but like keep your popcorn to yourself or whatever. This would have been one movie that would be like, yeah, let's go for it. Let's have fun. And yeah, that would have been great here. Plus, the two and a half hours here is completely different from the two and a half hours for Eternals. Yeah, the pacing was, we didn't talk about the pacing either. Pacing was pretty good. Yeah. See, I didn't even realize it was two and a half hours. Well, I knew because, you know, I saw it on the screen, but other than that, no big deal. All right. So that's it for this week. We're going to be back at you next week. And then we'll just go from there as we close in on Moon Knight. And by the way, uh, thank you very much to Anthony from Came Out on the Couch podcast for coming and giving us that great 
Moon Knight Primer that he did last week. If you haven't listened to it, go back an episode and listen to Anthony talk about the Moon Knight character. So until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm Agent Chris. See everybody later. Bye. 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 Don't do a wish spell on us and forget about us. Forget about who? I don't know. Who's that person that's with us, Chris? Oh, her name's Michelle. Okay. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Chris, I did listen to your Blade 2 episode. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. Yeah, especially since we're getting closer and closer to possibly the Blade series or movie coming out. I'm glad that I recorded that one recently enough to where we kind of-ish knew that could be a thing. Yeah, you guys were talking about uh, the Eternals. I don't know exactly when you were recording it, but you were talking about the Eternals post credit scene. Yeah. It was uh, definitely after we recorded the Eternals episode for here. Oh, okay. Well, you were the one that brought up the fact that it was Blade. I didn't know it was Blade. And then I rewatched it, or, you know, I fast forward and got to the end. I'm like, yep, that sounds like Blade to me. That sounds like the same guy that was Cottonmouth. That'll be fun how they work around that. Yeah. We'll see. I guess this will be the first time that a main character has been recast. Yeah. I mean, even, I don't really count Thanos and Cable if you even want to count them as main characters anyway but that's so cgi on top of for thanos it doesn't matter and i guess recast is not the correct word i'm trying to think of the word i there might not be but when you take a character and then you recast that same actor as another main character we've not had that in the mcu yet that i can think of not any worth anyway i mean there's been recasting warhammers roadies the biggest example right off the bat there but you don't see him coming back as another main character, although he probably would like to. Yeah. Again, the Marvel money train. I'll get on that. Let mm-hmm. me in. I'll do it. I'll even play the unpaid intern of the Daily Bugle. <laughs> Did you guys see any of that? That was part of the promotional stuff that Sony was sending out. So the I forget her name, but the actor that played the in the high school did the high school news thing oh the betty brand character yeah yeah online she was part of the daily she was brought on board the daily bugle and so she was doing daily bugle updates and she thought this is great i'm getting paid wait uh, unpaid oh i'm an unpaid addition to the daily bugle so (laughs) she just rolled with it you saw the the point of disappointment. So I know it was all scripted and everything, but she did a great job acting. Yeah.
You know what they're really missing, though? If they're going to have a proper Spider People movie, you need your Ghost Spider. Yeah. I still, I need to go to the comic book store this week. I still haven't decided what I'm going to do with that situation. Yeah, that whole thing sucks for you. Yeah, I was very fortunate. I realize that a lot of other people don't have, and Michelle, you were talking about it years ago, the fact that you lost your local comic book store. Yep. So the same thing happened to me, and it was literally on my way home, which made it very easy for me to go into the store to to pick up the poll list on my way home once a week. And that's not going to be available anymore. And all the other local comic book stores are way out of the way. And just the way my schedule works, it's like, okay, do I want to take a couple of hours out of my week to go to the local comic book store, grab this stuff and come back? And I think I'm in the mindset that I'm going to try some sort of mail service from somewhere instead, but I don't know what I'm going to do there because it just doesn't make sense to the nearest, like you, Michelle, my nearest next local comic book store is so far away that doesn't make sense for me to do this although i might just decide to go digital now too i don't know i liked having the physical copies digital is so much easier yep but then you can't get a whole wall full of really good looking covers i know i don't know if i've showed you guys this i might have i don't know if it can pull through but it is um a 3d oh nice oh that's so cool so the kids got this for me for Christmas, not this year, but last year. And a local artist did this where he actually had an etching machine mm-hmm. that went through and, and did the paint and everything. And then it's multi-layered. So the, the backing is one layer. The Avengers is another layer. Most of the characters are another layer. And then there's like, like Iron Man's arc reactor and are, are another layer that's put on there. And a variation of a physical copy. It's so cool. Chris, I mean, really, I mean, I would offer my services, but I'm nowhere close and I'm going somewhere else this weekend. So I'm sorry, but if you need some help there watching Spider-Man again, (laughs) sure, we can find you some help. I'll figure it out somehow. It'll be tough over here. Oh yeah, it's one I can watch again. Just like, because those fight scenes were amazing. They were. Dead became a wizard and connects with Spider-Man 3, Andrew Garfield, and Spider-Man 2, Tobey Maguire. And now all the toys are here to play. After some Spider-Man self-love. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you didn't read it beforehand, did you? No, I did it. After some Spider-Man self-love, the trio of multiverse superheroes collect and save all the villains, send them back to their respective universes and dimensions, before Doctor Strange has to redo his first spell and everyone forgets Peter Parker. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2022.